Good afternoon and welcome to the show. Well, I have to tell you, and and before I start talking about the show, I want to finally say welcome spring. It's been a while. Yep, I hope most of you are getting out, stretching your legs. I'll tell you, last week that was one heck of a fun time, wasn't it? What a difference a week makes. And hopefully the spring market starts to pick up. I think a few open house signs will be out today for sure, as well as tomorrow. We normally see them on weekends in the spring and maybe people are going to dust them off finally and get out there. Anyways, great show planned for you this hour. We've got Ray Ferris joining me. We're going to be talking about your disclosure statement as a seller. A little bit later on in the hour, I also have Phil Moore. He's the president of the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board. He's going to be joining me. And have you ever thought about accessible properties? Not It's not just about seniors. I've got Jeff Kerr. He's going to be joining me later in the hour. And we're going to talk about those properties and what you can look for. But first let's have a chat about what's going on in the marketplace this week and I will tell you that I had quite a few questions regarding I guess the last couple of shows when I've been talking about the cancellation of some condominiums but I'm not going to go there quite yet we're going to save that for the next few minutes but lots going on in the marketplace of course when we talk about spring are we going to start seeing the market get a little bit stronger you know the numbers were off uh, through the month of March April right now they're kind of predicting that we're going to be low as well based on last year but an uptick from month over month. And that's the one thing that we've got to keep our eyes on. Well, speaking of the marketplaces, how about we talk about some of the marketplaces that are kind of getting on the hot list, and then I'm going to talk about the best place right now that MoneySense is ra- ranking here in Ontario. Uh, you won't believe it, but I'll tell you, if you've got a phone handy, you might know where we're talking. But first, let's talk about some of the outer suburbs. They're talking about Stroud, Bowmanville, they're saying Caledon Village. These are some of the areas that have the ability that uh, have have the ability of going up in value, but yet they are still deemed to be affordable. Some pretty nice places. So if I take a look at my list, because it's quite complete, at 25 places, I won't go through them all. But Stroud is the leading one. They're saying the value, well, it's quite low in comparison to what it can go to. Bowmanville, Tottenham, uh, Angus, Blackstock, Beaverton, Cookstown. Some of these areas, Cookstown, you should know Cookstown. It's at Innisfil. If you ever run up the 400, you'll see the outlet mall. Well, of course, shopping. That might promote people to go there. Central Newmarket, Keswick, and a few other areas. In bottom of the list, Stouffville, still saying that it's got some potential. Price is good, but potentially the momentum is going to be a little bit slower. So that is pretty much the the list of the outer markets. But what about the GTA Core? This is the one that I think most of you would be concerned about. They're saying right now, Mimico. Mimico is the place with value. This is where most of the realtors are saying, hey, look, we've got large lots, attractive prices, easy access to all the major highways, you know, friendly neighborhood of Etobicoke. So Mimico right now, they're saying, is probably one of the hottest spots for you to consider this year for 2018. That's not bad. Uh, a couple other areas. They're saying Niagara. Big bounce back there. We're starting to see some numbers that are coming coming up. Uh, other areas, Don Valley Village, Weston. Uh, where else do we have some other areas at Kennedy Park? 
New Toronto. So the number one on the top of the list, they're saying best value with the ability of going up is West Hill. So again, some of these areas, these are what uh, some of the experts are taking a look at. They're pretty much, you know, measuring out value versus the potential of going up. If you notice that there's a few marketplaces that are not on this list, the ones that you thought that were doing exceptionally well last year, well, they're the ones that are taking the biggest hit. So they're saying the momentum is not there in some of those outer marketplaces. And, you know, if we talk about Richmond Hill, Vaughn, you know, perhaps a little bit of a struggle because they had a huge run-up last year. Everybody's jumping on the bandwagon, and now they're starting to falter a little. So... What does this really mean when we start talking about marketplaces like this? Can we continue to adjust up and down? Or should we, if you own a property, should you just sit back, enjoy the property if it's for you and your family, and wait for the market to settle down? You know, that would be always my advice to our listeners. And one of the most important things you have to understand is real estate should not just be a speculation. I know we talk about it all the time, but it's one of the scary things. If you're looking for investment properties, buy an investment property. But if you're looking for a home, keep in mind, not necessarily something you want to be flipping all the time. Not everybody likes to move every year or two. Even though you can gain in equity, the best way to do it is long term, if possible. And right now, that is definitely what we're looking at. Remember, if, you, uh, if you're if you thinking of moving and jumping around a little, now you're going to be faced with the stress test of your mortgage. And this is what people are really struggling with. In fact, some of the people that had closed over the last 12 months, they had to take some quick financing pretty high interest rates, they're struggling right now to get refinanced. And so what we're seeing more and more is that some people could start losing their properties. That's right. Interest rates that they took because they had to get it closed, you know, temporary interest rate, they can't renew it at a lower interest rate just because they don't qualify. So what they're doing is they're going to a B lender, somebody that's a little bit higher interest rate, and it's making it a lot tougher for people to carry some of the debt load. So one of the things I'd like to always offer is some caution to everybody. This is a great concern. Now, one of the top areas right now, you know where it is? Brantford, Ontario. That's right. It is just, call it a little bit southwest of the GTA area, about 100 kilometers away. And major, major people that you might know, uh, names such as Alexander Graham Bell. That's right. He's originally from Brantford. And of course hockey legend Wayne Gretzky. Well, one of the reasons why they're taking a look at this area is the average price for 2017 was only $485,000. So that means it's a lot more affordable for detached homes. Uh, Pretty good marketplace too. About 100,000 people in the area. And so it's got some potential good. uh, They've got schools, they've got got industries, they're actually being very, very proactive. And again, this is one of the reasons why MoneySense has ranked it as the number one best place to buy right now. And it's saying in Canada, not just Ontario. I'll, I'll you know, question that a little, but I'll stick to Ontario saying, hey, listen, Brantford's a great opportunity. Now, let's talk about one of the things that people are getting very, very concerned about. And I do want to have a discussion about it because it is the condominiums being cancelled. Are you one of them? Are you right now receiving a letter from your builder saying, sorry, can't, can't build, we're going to have to pass, and they're going to give you back your deposit. That's right. You know that gorgeous Toronto condo you signed up for? Guess what? 
You only have a piece of paper, uh, probably a brochure. It just might be scrapped. Right now, we're looking at quite a few numbers that have actually been cancelled, a little bit more than what we've seen over the last few years. About 3,700 units have been cancelled over the last year. Now, that's a fairly high number. And for those of you caught in this kind of jet wash, you know, having a better understanding about what's going on in the marketplace is probably a good thing. And for those of you that are thinking of buying a brand new condo, Let's talk about some cautious things. Right now, most builders will not get financing to build unless they have a minimum of 70 to 75% of pre-sales. So this is kind of them throwing something against the wall, seeing if it sticks. So they'll throw out a condominium. They'll say, great, we've got enough people interested. This is what it's going to look like. We've got our architectural drawings. We've got our floor plans. We know what we want to build. Now what we have to do is we have to secure financing because a lot of these builders are coming in without financing financing until they get the pre-construction sales done. Now, some of them also haven't passed all of the red tape that they are required to through the municipalities to get a sign off so they can start construction. So there's quite a few units right now that have been sold over the last 18 to 24 months and they're still not under construction. So should you be concerned? Um, I'm not going to say that everybody's going to bail out on these, but we're starting to see the fact that builders who started selling a few years ago didn't anticipate the increase in the cost of construction. And this is where a lot of people are getting caught. Now, there is some rumor amongst other builders that are saying that, hey, listen, if we cancel this project and we reopen, we can gain about two or $300 per square foot. So in, in the case of a 500 square foot condominium, they could make another $15,000. Is this truly going to happen? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, sorry, 150,000, my mistake. Um, and when we take a look at the numbers, you know, the truth is, is that we've got to be concerned about you. What have you committed to? Have you committed to a property that may get, gets, get constructed or are you getting something that you know for sure? So one of the things I recommend that everybody does, make sure you reach out to the builder, the company, find out what kind of record they have, see if they've got many on, uh, that are actually under construction. You know, if you can see somebody that's actually building right now and they're getting close and they're opening up another one, you actually see them digging a hole in the ground, chances are they're going to complete this one because they've got financing or they've got profit coming off the other one. But if they're just all out there, you know, trying to figure out if they can get it sold, Guess what? One thing I would do is exercise caution. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Maybe going resale is an option for you. So it's one of those things that I would tell everybody to be very, very cautious of. Right now, make sure that you've got the builder on uh, on the hook for getting your deposit back to you. You want to make sure you get the money back as well. There should be some foreign interest. Have your lawyer look through the contract. It's really important that you do. So hopefully that covers most of your questions. If you do, remember, if you do have a question for me, go to Todd at thesimpleinvestor.com. I'm happy to answer any of your questions. And by the way, we, uh, we just released our last few of our, um, our well-end release out of our townhomes. We've got only a few left. And uh, if you're interested in an investment property, go to thesimpleinvestor.com to find out about more about what's going on. So as I mentioned, um, coming up next, I've got Ray uh, Ferris joining me. One of the reasons why I bring Ray on is because we talk a lot about the legality and the paperwork that's involved in real estate. He's the former president of the Ontario
Ontario Real Estate Association. And we're going to talk about the disclosure that uh, the information statement that sellers will put together. And this is very, very important because you have to know what you are signing for and you want to make sure that you are protected as much as the buyers want to make sure that they are protected. And again, later in the hour, I've got the president of the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board joining me, Mr. Phil Moore. And uh, if you're thinking about an accessible property, we've got a specialist coming up later in the hour as well, Jeff Kerr. So stay with us. We'll have more right after this. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, my guest now is Mr. Ray Ferris. He is the former president of the Ontario Real Estate Association, and he is a real estate broker, very active in the industry. And uh, Ray, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Todd. Always a pleasure. You know, you and I always have so much to talk about. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to have to come down into your neck of the woods and, and check out the country once it starts to warm up. But yeah, uh, I, hope soon. I understand that your market is starting to heat up a little in uh, it's it's quite strong. What's going on? Yeah, well, as you know, Todd, I sell a lot of recreational properties along the North Shore of Lake Erie in communities such as Port Dover and Long Point, And we're experiencing an unprecedented shortage of listings in the market right now. And multiple offers are the name of the game out here right now. We're, we're again, experiencing multiple offers, and we're seeing cottages and homes sell for way over asking price. Wow. You know, Ray, we've, as you know, and I know you follow the Toronto market, even though you, 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 you don't always come into town. But at the end of the day, um, you know, our market has cooled off. You know, our condo market's still staying, you know, relatively warm. You know, we could probably look at maybe, a, you know, 5 10% increase this year. Right now, uh, detached residential, you know, it's come off from last year's peak, obviously. Uh, but to hear that cottage country or vacation properties are starting to heat up, can what do you attribute to that? Is it people are just fed up of thinking of buying something in Toronto and they say, hey, listen, maybe we'll change our lifestyle and and go that way? You know, that has a lot to do with it, Todd. A couple of weeks ago, I read an article in the Globe and Mail, and there's a lot of young millennials who can't afford to buy a home in the city any longer. So they're continuing to rent and they're taking the cash that they have that they've been saving up to one day hopefully buy a home and they've just realized that it's not affordable right now for them. So they're coming out to cottage country and buying cottages. And not only are they using the cottage as a place for their family and to relax and to get away to, but they're also using it as an income source as well. And they're renting the cottage in the season, the off season when they're not able to use it themselves. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as, as we look outside the window today, you know, we, it looks like spring's here. I, I never say spring is here until we can get like a good week or two of warm weather because right now, you know, it, it, we get teased and then all of a sudden, as we had the other week, you know, the big ice storm, um, you know, again, it's for, for, for some people, they've been waiting for the spring market to kick in. You're already ahead of schedule. Toronto's not there yet. We're, you know, our volume's still down. Um, Lots of other things going on in the marketplace, of course. Um, a couple things that uh, you know caught our caught our attention, and, and you and I had talked about it, was the fact that a few people are getting a little bit concerned about sellers. Uh, you know, when sellers turn around and list a property, they're asked to give information. Uh, so it's it's a disclosure statement on on some of the you know if there's a defect in the home or if there's some knowledge that they have that you know can't 
isn't apparent. And uh, right now, we, we hear a, a few people in the legal uh, field are saying that they should not be signing these. What's what's your what's your take on this entire thing? Yeah, so you're absolutely right, Todd. Sellers have an obligation to disclose any material defects that they know about in their property. And as you referenced, some in the legal community are asking people not to fill out a form called the Seller Property Information Statement, as some in the legal community believe that that is what is causing people to get themselves into legal trouble. But it's not filling out a form and disclosing all of the material defects that you may know of in your property. What's causing people problems, what's causing sellers problems, is when they don't disclose issues that they know about in their property. Honesty is always the best policy. As I said, sellers have an obligation to disclose material defects that they know about in their property. And as a realtor, I have an obligation to discover material facts about properties that I list for sale. And the seller property information statement, which is a form that is a series of questions about a property, has saved my sellers' butts in numerous cases where they've disclosed issues that maybe they didn't realize were a material defect in the property. One that happens in cottage country all the time is that people build wooden decks on their cottages without getting a building permit. And one of the questions I always ask sellers is, have you made any renovations, additions, or improvements to the property? And sellers will say, in some instances, yes, we added that deck on the rear of our cottage. So the next question I ask is, did you get a building permit for it? And sometimes people didn't get a building permit for it. And these issues, Todd, as you know, sometimes are discovered during the lawyer's title search of the closing of the property. And if they're discovered rather than disclosed, it can be a big legal problem that impacts the seller or the sale may just not close at all. Yeah, I was going to say that, right? Because in some cases, some people could turn around and say, okay, the seller did not disclose this. You know, this is, this is, there is a latent defect sitting here. You know, the municipality, you know, was going to ask us for a building permit. Um, I mean, a lot of people obviously, you know, are use title insurance. So sometimes if, if the seller's not aware of it and there's something that, you know, goes back to or three owners, sometimes the you know, title insurance will step in. But as you mentioned, you know, this, this is becoming a problem on closing. So, your best advice then is to make sure that they disclose it. But what if they don't know about the defect? What if they don't know and it's not discovered until, you know, a year later? First, all buyers should get a home inspection when they purchase a property. But a seller can't be held responsible for a defect that the seller wasn't aware of. Right. I can think of a situation where one time a buyer moved in a, into a property that I sold that was serviced by a septic system, and a week after the buyers moved in, the septic system malfunctioned. The, sell, the buyers didn't believe that the seller didn't have knowledge of it. However, evidence illustrated that the seller had no knowledge that the septic system was about to fail. It was working properly when the seller lived in the property, and it was buyer beware. The buyer had to accept responsibility for the repairs to the septic system simply because the seller had no knowledge of it prior to the completion of the transaction. 
Yeah, you know, again, this is this is one of those you kind of dance a fine, uh, you know, a fine line. As long as uh, as long as one, one important thing, and I think that you mentioned, and I, I need to reiterate this to our to all our listeners always, is make sure they get a home inspection when buying. You know, the market's not at the point right now where you should be going firm on anything. Uh, you know, I hated the fact that people would not do home inspections, but it's one of the greatest things that people can do for sure to protect their interests. So, um, Ray, listen, always a pleasure to have you on the show and um you know we'll uh, we'll stay in touch we'll we'll see how we do you know come may and june as far as the market maybe you can give us an update in the next couple of months gladly thanks for calling always a pleasure folks that was mr ray ferris and uh he's from erie's edge uh real estate brokerage always a great pleasure to have him on hey listen coming up after the break i've got a second part of my interview with the president of the greater vancouver real estate board mr phil moore so stay with us we'll be right back after this and welcome back. Um, right now, I've got a returning guest joining me all the way from British Columbia, and it's Mr. Phil Moore. He's president of the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board. And Phil, thanks for uh, joining me again. Oh, thank you for having me. You know, interestingly enough, you and I, uh, when we last had a chat, um, we were talking about obviously where the market is and how Toronto is kind of lagging you know, about a year behind the Vancouver market. Um, you know, again, your biggest problem, as is ours, uh, in most cases, is supply. And, you know, I was going to ask you, and, and I forgot to the last time, do you feel that the new stress test is doing anything to your marketplace? You know, the fact that people have to qualify 2% more than what they're getting as far as an interest rate. Given that what we had during the month of January and February and partially March was buyers that were pre-qualified under the old guidelines. And they had up to 90 days to purchase a place. And so they could be pre-qualified without the stress test, find a place on February 15th, close on February 28th, and not be affected by the stress test. But now we're into April. And what we started to see was our numbers in March the number of sales started to decline. And we look at the condo market, that's your first time buyer. That's anything that is 750,000 below. And you're now starting to see far less sales than we've had in previous years. One of the questions I, I wanna ask is this, is there any affordable real estate or what marketplaces can people still be attracted to? And and I'll use BC because, you know, we, we obviously know, you know, part of your West Vancouver, a lot, certain pockets are, are really tough. But I mean, I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time out in BC, in the interior, of course, Whistler, things like that. And is there affordable real estate still for people in British Columbia? Pretty much once you get outside of the lower mainland, prices immediately adjust. Now, what we've seen in Victoria was a boost in prices because the foreign national tax didn't apply to Victoria. In 2016, Victoria was very much affordable. And then the foreign nationals said, hey, I can buy here and not pay 15% tax. And they love Victoria. So Victoria has surged. Kelowna surged. But some of the other cities is still quite affordable. It's such a beautiful country, and, and for a lot of people in the GTA market, I don't know if they've ever, you know, ventured out towards Vancouver, but, you know, it's it's quite breathtaking. But as you mentioned, you know, you only have so much square footage to build on, and at this point, are you are you struggling with height restrictions when new condominiums are going to be built? I mean, are they, are they still trying to limit your heights, or has that gone by the wayside by the municipalities saying, listen, you, we need more, we need more units so you can go as high as you possibly can? 
the tradition has always been to restrict the height to 25 stories, 30 stories. And that was so people in Vancouver could have the mountain view. We're surrounded by mountains. They've relaxed a little bit, but there isn't anyone going past 60 stories. You've got the Shangri-La Tower and you've got the Trump Tower and they're at 60 stories and they are in a corridor. So they create these view corridors where people won't be obstructed with mountain views. But Vancouverites are really sensitive. They're resistant to any tall tower. When you get outside of Vancouver into the Burnaby, New Westminster, Surrey market, you're also now seeing 60-story towers. And those municipalities relaxed, but they're not as affected by the view. But we are still very much a view-conscious market. Where do you see your spring market going? I mean, you know, right now in the GTA market, I can tell you that month over month, we're starting to see a kind of a price increase. But of course, we're, we are now suffering from the, you know, the huge peak that we had in 2017. Our March numbers came in. We're 14% down as far as sale price. Uh, year over year, you know, when we when we look at April, it looks like it might even go a little bit higher than that. Um, what's your marketplace trending? Where where do you see it this year? There is less buyers because of the tax announcements, the rising interest rates, stricter mortgage requirements. They're affecting the buyers. However, we're just not seeing the inventory come out, and we have record lows in product, in listings. Some of the statistics are that they're 20% less than what they normally are for this type of spring market. So real estate supply and demand. What we're seeing in the detached housing market, prices are stable. They're not changing. The condo market is still rising. I mean, if I look at condos in the last year, there's been a 30% increase and it's because it's affordable. We're, again, reflective of your marketplace, and, and as we've said, you know, we're, we're lagging behind you, but our condominium market is, you know, up 10% year over year right now, and it seems that the builders themselves, you know, they can't get the product to market fast enough, and yet the, the detached market, it's starting to waver a little. People that bought detached last year at this time are looking at it saying, we can't even get financing a year later when they go to close because, you know, they're buying brand new construction. Um, with your marketplace, you know, and, and again, you, you had the highest, uh, we'll go to a, a detached marketplace, you know, your, your average yep. sale price, you know, definitely peaked over any other market in Canada. One of the things, and, and, and I thought I'd ask you, you know, and, and I'm pretty sure again, you, you follow Canada's market. Montreal is getting quite the push right now because they don't have the foreign buyer tax. Can you see them gaining some decent steam? I mean, can they be reflective of, of your marketplace years ago? You know, the first sign was they started to get direct flights from Hong Kong to Montreal, oh, from really? Japan <laughs> to Montreal. So direct flights are telling you that there's a demand for people going there, that provincial government have made it more attractive for immigrants in that province. We lost the foreign national buyers to Toronto, and you implemented a foreign national tax. But right now I see an opportunity in Montreal, and they seem to really like that European flavor of the city. Keeping in mind, in Canada last year, $19 billion left this country to purchase in the United States. That's People a, are buying in the United States. Yeah, I mean, you know, we obviously know of the snowbirds. Um, in in yep. your case, in the Vancouver area, you know, I know a lot of people like Washington, Oregon, and California. In, in the Toronto GTA market, a lot of people go to Florida there. 
And again, for us, you know, as you mentioned, you know, a lot of Canadians are investing in the U.S. marketplace. Is there anything we can do to try to keep people happy here? Other well, than redu- reducing interest yeah. rates and getting rid of the stress test? <laughs> Our provincial government is doing the exact opposite by taxing people that have summer homes and cottage homes that are local British Columbians that have second home that they want to use in the summertime and they're taxing them and forcing them to sell. Some of these people are pensioners and they've had a cottage for the summertime for 30 years and they're on fixed pension incomes, but yet they're looking at a what they call a speculative tax. It's more like a vacant home tax. So in British Columbia, we seem to be doing the opposite of what we need to do. And I think that because, you know, BC has done what they've done, I think that Ontario has followed suit quite well and even pushed the envelope a little bit harder. And, uh, you know, we're coming up on our provincial election, as you may know. And mm-hmm. um, right now we're, we're looking towards June. And, you know, one of the questions is, is that if we have a new government, are they going to change or reverse some of the policies that have been recently implemented into the real estate world? What do you think? A big impact or, or not a good idea? Well, we find prior to the election, our real estate market comes to almost a halt and people sit on the fence waiting to see who will get elected and which party will and what the promises are. And so right up until the election, people are going to sit on the fence and and it stalls the market. What we traditionally seen back and forth between the two provincial parties that have had power in the past is they come in and they reverse everything. Well, I guess time will tell. And that's one of those things. If you're going to whip out your crystal ball uh, year over year, what do you think you're going to end up 2018? Is the is the Vancouver market going to be up? Is it going to be stable? Is it going to go backwards a little? We gave a little back. When the foreign national tax came implementation August 2016 for 2016, the rest of the year and part of 2017, the prices softened. Halfway through 2017, we started to get modest increases, especially modest in the detached area. I would say that we're going to continue having a softer market in the detached and a very strong condo market. It's the tale of two markets. And I think with the Bank of Canada floating around some interest hikes, you know, it's still affordability is going to rely on the condominium market. Um, you know, lots of lots of rules and changes. Um, you know, obviously, we're, our, our markets are very similar, and uh, hopefully we can stay in touch. And uh, keep an eye on your market. If you can, you know, send us any kind of idea what your market's doing, then maybe we know what to anticipate here. So it's been a great pleasure to have you on the show once again. Thank you very much for having me. And that was Phil Moore. He's the president of the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board, and he is with REMAX Central in Burnaby. Coming up after the break, we're going to be focusing on accessible properties with Jeff Kerr. So stay with us. We'll be right back after this. And welcome back. Um, so my next guest uh, this hour is, um, well, I don't know how I could describe it. Um, this is something that I think is going to be, uh, you know, something we need to be concerned about the future. My my guest joining me now is realtor Jeff Kerr, and he specializes in accessible properties. And uh, Jeff, welcome to the show. That, great. It's great to be here. You know, a real pleasure having you here. And, you know, one of the, one of the things I, I, I want to be able to have a conversation with you today, so for our listeners' sake, is understanding kind of the definition of an accessible property. Um, you know, uh, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about your backstory because you've got uh, you've got quite a story that we can we can chat about. So, um, first and foremost, what is deemed to be an accessible property? I don't think there's any formal definition of it. Uh, it really depends on the individual themselves to what their needs are. 
I think there's two main factors I think that, that play into a, an accessible home, and that's an entrance solution and a bathroom solution. An entrance solution so people can get in and out of the house safely, and then a bathroom so that they can stay. I think those, those are really the two key features I find are important to people. Right. So what uh, what got you started in, you know, focusing on this in the actual industry? Because, you know, most, most realtors, they come in, they just decide to sell a house, and if something happens to fall on their laps, they'll do it. But you, you've made a real practice now of focusing on accessible properties. So what, what got you started? Uh, growing up, I had an aunt with MS. And so, you know, accessibility was just a, a fact of life. Uh, my mom was also... Uh, a physiotherapist at Toronto Rehab. So, again, it working, growing up in that in that environment with my aunt using a wheelchair, it it just it was a day to day fact of life. And it was actually through my aunt and uncle who purchased a pre construction wheelchair accessible condo back in wow back back in the late eighties right. um, that they they bought a condo that was supposed to be fully accessible for them. Through construction delays, and then you know my uncle passing on, I was actually with my aunt as she rolled through the front door when she first bought that condo, and she realized very quickly that that she couldn't live there independently. So she handed me the keys and said, "Jeff, please sell this condo for me." Wow, that's been quite disheartening for her because I know you know when people hear, you know they are accessible and they actually see that it's not. That must be pretty difficult. Um, you also you also have been an author of a book called Barrier Free Real Estate: Achieving Freedom at Home. Mm-hmm. Um, again, motivation behind writing a book. I, I want to provide a resource for people who find themselves in need of an accessible home. A lot of a lot of the clients I work with, they don't know where to start. What is an accessible home? What what type of feature are available so that's that's really was the impetus of the book is to just to to be a resource for people as a starting point to find out what what is an accessible home and what is possible yeah no listen i i i think it's a, a wonderful approach to things now um you know and and for our listeners that actually tune in on a regular basis everybody knows that i went through a hip replacement back uh, right around christmas time and you know one of the things that i did prior to to going under the knife was i had to put grab bars you know in the bathrooms you know change the toilet seat things like that um you know fortunately you know easy access coming inside the house but you know it, it is difficult to get around and this was you know this was kind of a, a short-term thing with, with a walker and canes and that um but people that have to live this every single day you know is there are there programs out there for people um you know you and i uh, talked off air about uh, march of dimes and things like that mm-hmm. um how do how do people you know how do they actually prepare their homes if this is a requirement and and that planning their home that's that's a big part of what i encourage my clients to do is planning ahead um, it's a lot easier to be proactive in in making changes to their home so that they can continue to live there safely and comfortably. Um, the March of Dimes is a great organization. They provide financing uh, to do home modifications, whether it be a bathroom or uh, an entrance. They also will do vehicle modifications as well. Wow. Uh, now, the, you know, again, we with doing our place, there wasn't wasn't really that much. Um, you know that much work that I had to do because you know I, I was going to come out of it and, and be and be okay, um, but 
if we if we take a look at if we take a look at you know some people's future, I mean, we've got a huge aging demographic right now. Are you finding that more people are looking for the requirement, you know, now that they're getting into you know the the retiring years? Absolutely. the The cost of of long term care um, retirement homes is is high, and there's not enough government funding right now to help to, to age people for people to age in the traditional care homes right. so so people are having to look at aging in place and and when you look at the cost of home modifications there was a study done that showed the average cost to modify your home is eight dollars a day and that's when you amortize the cost of the home modification over the life of the renovation sure so that's that's peanuts compared to the cost of, of a long-term care bed or a retirement home bed um, so it's, it's a lot more affordable for people to modify their home and to age in place. And then that allows them to stay in the home that they love, the community that they love, in amongst all the, the, the friends and family that yeah. they... That they you know, it's interesting because we've just come through, you know, uh, last year, one of the hottest markets we've ever seen. You know, you're, 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 as I said, you're very focused on, obviously, accessible homes. Was that a busy part of the market? Like, were people, were people struggling to find homes that have already built-in accessibility to them? It is challenging to find a home that's already accessible, that's ready to go. Right. Mo- majority of the clients I work with, we find a home that can be modified to meet their needs. Okay. Um, you know, the start to, of the 2017 market, very, very active market. Having clients that, are, that needed the accessibility just added an, another layer of challenge to find a home, you know, in amongst the bidding wars. Yeah. Uh, um, because a lot, of, a lot of clients require modifications to be made, so that means an extra, an extra home inspection to have someone come in and just confirm you know, the costs of, of doing those home, home modifications, which are absolutely necessary for them. Yeah. You know, if, if we take condos out of the equation and we talk about detached homes, you know, a lot of times people will drive through a neighborhood and they'll see ramps in the front. So normally in a bungalow style home. So, you know, a lot of times that's a, one of the first indications that, you know, it is a form of accessible home. Um, and, but yet, you know, in, in my neighborhood, I watch one sell and get plowed down. So <laughs> there's another non-accessible property in the market place and they'll probably put up something crazy but you know one one of the things um i think that it's hard for people to kind of wrap their heads around is just the sheer volume of necessity that's going to come up in the future i mean we've got that aging you know the baby boomers um you know not that they're quite there yet but i think it's a growing trend it's not just the seniors that you're working with. It's also people that, uh, obviously, as, as you mentioned, your aunt, mm-hmm. and and people that perhaps have been injured in accidents, or for that matter, people that have been, um, you know, had replacements like like somebody like myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's there's a broad spectrum of of client base. Uh, I work with a lot of young clients who've been in, in motor vehicle accidents. The older adults, um, the aging population. That's definitely where the, the future is, and that's and that's where the benefit is to a homeowner who wants to look at making modifications to their home now because they're only increasing the markability of that home later on with with the aging population. Yeah. If you were an investor and you owned a property that could be geared this way, would you do some work to it and then offer it out for lease? I mean, is is there a necessity out there for that? Absolutely. So the biggest challenge that I have in my business is wheelchair accessible rental properties. They just don't exist. I would absolutely encourage an investor to purchase a condo, have it modified with uh, 
a bathroom modification. You can have a traditional kitchen, sure. but, but a ba- with a bathroom modification, there's absolutely a demand right now. I get two calls a week for clients looking for wheelchair-accessible rentals, right. and I, have, I struggle to, to help them find. Right. It's difficult. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and really, the modification isn't you know, that major, I mean, you know, access to either to for a shower stall or some of the new bathtubs that have been now conformed because they're, they're units that can open up, but you know, the grab bars and, and, and again, certain uh, counter heights, I think are very important. Um, is there any advice you can give people, um, you know, looking into the future, uh, in, in, in this Avenue? I mean, you know, how, how do people, how do people a track you down? What's the best way to reach you? Uh, the easiest way is through, uh, is through my website, accessiblehomefinder.com. Right. Um, and, you know, I, I work at Remax Unique in, in central Toronto. They can certainly reach me. My direct number is 416-424-2222. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, Google Google's great. If you, if you, if you, if you Google wheelchair accessible homes, yeah. you'll, uh, you'll find me. Yeah, excellent. And um, so if we're, if we're looking at the marketplace, um, I, I know just a quick note you had mentioned before uh, we went on the air, uh, there's some builders that are starting to focus on this a little. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so back, back in uh, 2017, Daniels Corporation approached me. They were looking at creating uh, a program to incorporate wheelchair accessible condos mm-hmm. in their upcoming buildings. So fast forward to today, they have the Accessibility Design Program. And this is, it, this is it's a great program. It's not since uh, my aunt bought that condo many years ago have right. I encountered a builder who looked at pre-construction wheelchair accessible condos. Wow. And those, they're incorporating uh, fully accessible bathrooms, kitchens, and the big thing in a condominium is roll-out balconies. Right. You know, we all encounter those big thresholds to get down to the balconies. Sure. They're, they're doing level thresholds with, with garden doors leading out to the balconies. So it's a full roll-out balconies. Yeah. Um, they're roughing in door openers. Um, lot, you know, all these great features, and, uh, they come standard in the units and at no additional cost. Uh, unless the client wants to do a, the alternative kitchen. They, they can do a, it's a small upgrade for the alternative kitchen. Yeah, excellent. Well, listen, Jeff, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show today. Um, again, once again, best way for our, uh, our people to find you? Yeah, uh, through my website, accessiblehomefinder.com. Excellent. Uh, well, folks, that was Jeff Kerr. And uh, make sure if you do have some needs or some questions, make sure you do reach out to him. So I'd like to thank Jeff Kerr for joining me. Uh, very interesting information when you talk about accessible properties. Of course, Phil Moore, a little bit earlier, he's president of the Greater Vancouver Real Estate Board, letting us know what's going on out there. And Ray Ferris, you know, keeping us keeping it real, you know, always great to have Ray on the show. I'd like to thank my producer, Ian Grant. He always makes it simple for me. And I want to thank you for tuning in this week. Remember, I'm back next week, Saturday at 3 p.m. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010.